Praise the Lord. Isn't God good to us? Amen. Well, as we come up to uh, Easter, we're going to look at uh, several things a little bit different than we normally would. been studying through the book of Romans, but I want to change gears uh, this morning. I want you to go to Job uh, 19, Job 19, and uh, we'll begin reading verse number 25. Now, you know the account of Job. Again, I don't like to use the word story because story seems to give in our mind a fairy tale. And I think that's one of the reasons people have such a problem with the Bible is they think it's just a book of fairy tales, right? I mean, who would ever think that a, a fish, a whale, would swallow a man, spit him out, right? I mean, it takes an element of faith to believe this book. Who would have ever thought that uh, Jesus would walk on the water and uh, then tell Peter to do likewise? I mean, if it, it is for, to, to the natural man, it seems far-fetched. And so uh, I like to use the word account instead of story. And I mean, even as a kid, Brother Jimmy, we tell them, now, there's, it's a story of David and Goliath. And they're going, for the rest of their life, they're going, well, this is just a story. But when we think of Job, you know, all know the account that uh, the devil went to God. He uh, was before him. And, and God said this. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Now, interesting, we always think that the devil is the one that is, is instigating tribulation in our life, right? But, but God said, I want you to look at my servant Job, that there's none like him in all the earth. Well, Satan said, look, if, if you'll take your hand off of him, he'll curse you to your face. He said, you let me do with him what I want to, and I promise you this, he'll turn, you back, turn his back on you. Yes, now, the reality of it is most of us, if we went through just a, uh, a small decimal point of what Job went through, Satan would probably be right about us. Right. And the interesting thing to me, Brother Russell, is oftentimes we think that, we'll hear people say, well, you pray for me, the devil's really fighting me hard. There's very few accounts in the Bible where Satan himself actually went against a child of God. Now he used demons, but but to put ourselves in the likes of uh, Peter, right? The de he didn't say a demon desires to have you. He said the devil, right? And, and to put ourselves in the category of Job, I would say most of us are not there, okay, including me. So I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm saying most of us are not at the level where God looks at the devil and says, have you considered Shane's faith? Shane's a good man, loves God, I know he does. What I'm trying to say is if, if Job can face the trials and tribulations and storms that he will face, and when God looked at him, he, he saw goodness and he saw righteousness in this man because he loved the Lord. Well, sounds to me like we might be in trouble. But we look at Job's suffering and that's what we focus on, right? I mean, we have 20, uh, 19 chapters of Job's suffering. And then we come to chapter 19 and Job makes an unusual statement that you and I should be able to make. In verse 25, notice what he said. He said, for I know. Now that takes an element of faith most people don't have. 
He didn't say I think or I hope. He said I know that my Redeemer liveth. And it doesn't say that he might. It said that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Well, that's interesting because as far as I know, Job did not have a King James Bible to reference. To go to the book of Revelation and say, well, the Bible said in Revelation this is what's going to happen. He didn't have the book of Daniel. As a matter of fact, uh, most people believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So he didn't have all that we have today. And he said, somehow, I know my Redeemer liveth. And I know, and, and he said that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. Now that's an interesting statement. Because again, he didn't have all that we have today. But somehow Job knew that first of all, his Redeemer liveth. He also knew that he was coming back. And he also believed that he would see him in the flesh. And so I want to preach this morning and try to help you on this thought. I know my Redeemer liveth. Now listen, you can't have a hope so, maybe so, possibly so kind of salvation. You've got to have a no so. And and, and in order to go through what's probably coming down the road for us as believers, you better know. There better be something inside of you that is so real in knowing that there is a, a Savior that is worth serving, that no matter what happens, you'll serve Him. You've got to have it settled before the trial. See, Job already had it settled before the trials came. You're not going to go through the trials and then all of a sudden determine that your Redeemer liveth. He knew that before he ever faced one trial. And so with all that we think of Job and his suffering, we often do not think of the thought of his hope. And that's what we've got to have, Brother Junior, today. We've got to have hope. Listen, your hope is not in a man, a political party. Your hope better be in the Lord Jesus Christ, or I promise you, uh, you will fall every single time. And so some believe that maybe this was on Job's epitaph. On his sepulcher, that, that right there on his tombstone, it said, I know my Redeemer liveth. Now, I don't know if it was or not, but sure, I, I, that ought to be something we ought to put on ours, right? I, I mean, I know my Redeemer liveth today, and we ought to live like it. Listen, if you, if you say you believe it, don't live like it, who cares? And so I want to preach on that thought, and I'm going to give you a few thoughts out of, out of this scripture uh, talking about Job. First of all, number one, I want you to see the cruelty of life. How many can attest to that? Life's cruel. Listen, if you don't believe life's cruel, you've not lived too long. Amen. You've lived in a bubble if you don't think life's cruel. Listen, why is it cruel? Because of sin. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The reason we're in such a mess is not, uh, it's not uh, uh, social issues and, and all that this world has to offer and says if we could fix these problems, everything would be better. Listen, there was a time where life was perfect. I mean, you take Adam and Eve, they had a perfect setting. They had a perfect environment. Everything was God laid out for them and they sinned. Well, now you take Cain and Abel, right? Well, they didn't have any problems, right? I mean, I mean, 
they, they had a good parents. They, they had a good upbringing. They had, we would look and say, man, those good church kids and what they do, one of them killed the other one. Right. See, we got we to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is sin. And it's always been sin. Until Jesus comes back, it always will be sin. And there's only one solution to sin, the sin problem. And it's not reform, it's regeneration. And so here, uh, understand that until Jesus comes back, life's going to be cruel. Well, if I had the right friends and the right job and the right spouse and the right environment, everything would be better. No, it won't. Because there's a lot of people have all those things and life still hits them. They still get cancer and they still have issues. And so I'm just trying to let you know that you're not by yourself this morning. You think, man, uh, like Job, we sometimes think we're in this thing by ourselves. But you're sitting amongst people, brothers and sisters in Christ and friends that everybody's got issues and everybody's got trials and tribulations that no one's life is perfect and if you go outside the walls of the church you'll find the same thing. Why? Because life's cruel. Well how is it cruel? Well can we be honest today that, that it's full of broken hearts? I mean the Bible said in Job 14 1 man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I mean, life is full of heartaches and headaches, right? I mean, we were talking in Sunday school about faith, and Brother Adam, we, we were talking about this, and I asked him, I said, you and Miss Sarah and the kids, if, if, if you knew what you guys would go through today, way back when you started, he said, I don't know that we'd do it, right? I told him, I said, I, I feel the same way. 22, almost 22 years ago when, when we took the pastor to this church, if, if we were to look down the road, Brother Jerry, and see all the headaches and heartaches and, and all the pain that is involved with pastoring a church and the way it has affected me and the way it's affected my wife. And, and I, I want to say this. It's a miracle of God. Listen to what I'm saying. It is a miracle of God that pastors' kids still serve God. Amen. Now I'm thankful we've got some in here, Brother Jerry and Brother Paul and, and my kids and others, but it's a miracle of God that some of what they go through in life and seeing the way people treat their parents and even the way other kids treat them, it's a miracle of God when they get out of the house that any of them would want to serve God. It's a miracle with you, some of you, with what you've been through in church and life that you'd still be in church serving God. Why? Because we understand that life is full of broken hearts. People are going to disappoint you, right? I mean, people will disappoint you. Kids are going to break your heart. Spouses are going to break your heart. Jobs are going to break your heart. People just break hearts. And sometimes, Brother Jimmy, they don't even mean to. Sometimes they do. And listen, it is difficult. And so you look at Job. He, we call them storms and we call them trials. But think of Job losing his fortune. Say, well, if I had a, more money, uh, my, my problems with well, Job had it all. He was very wealthy. Consider Job losing his fame. He was a popular man. He had, he had status in the community. Think of Job losing his family. I mean, he lost them all, and it wasn't where he had time to say, well, you know, we lost this child, and, and let's just embrace the others. They were all gone. He lost his friends. You know, there's a saying, if you have one true friend, you've got everything. He had none. They started out, boy, Job, we're praying for you and we love you, but then they all turned on him. 
You ever felt like that? I mean, it seems like you go from one broken heart to the next and, you know, God gives you a little bit of healing then your heart's broken again and then you have some healing and someone passes away and then you, you feel like you've confided in someone and you, you trust them and then they break. Does anybody feel like that? Life is going to be full of broken hearts. But not only did Job have a broken heart, he had broken health. I mean, Job's body's broken. When you look at him, not only uh, did he lose everything. Then Satan goes back and says, yeah, I took everything from him, but I'll guarantee if I took his health, he'll curse you. Now, let's be honest. Many of us, we get a little twinge in the knee. (laughs) Little ankle doesn't feel right. My wife gets a call. Could you put me on the phone tree? I woke up this morning with a sore toe. Right? I got to go to the doctor. Why? I got a cough. Right? Bless your heart. But that wasn't Job. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he had boils. Now, I don't, know, I don't know that I've ever experienced anything like that before. But basically it said he took pots. He'd break pots up and he'd just scrape himself to get relief. You ever been that, that just in agony? They say health is wealth. And I, listen, that's the truth. Amen. I mean, you may not have much, but if, you, if you're healthy and uh, you're, you're still kicking... Man, you ought to get on your face before God and say, God, I thank you. I'm not laid up in the hospital and I'm thankful I'm not hooked up to a bunch of machines and I'm thankful that I'm, I'm not having to go get dialysis every day or whatever it is. And if you've got to go get dialysis every day, you ought to thank God that you don't have something else going. I'm saying health, praise God, when you got some health, you ought to, and we say, oh, well, you just don't understand how bad things are. Go up to the hospital. You go on any floor you want to, somebody's going to be worse off. Amen. See, we bellyache because, well, I can't do what I used to. Yeah, but you can do more than what most people can do. There's a lot of folks, Brother Matt, would love to have walked in here this morning. But they're bedridden, home-ridden, hospital-ridden, praise God, can't sit because of all the aches and pains. Listen, you, that Job, he's laid up in there just scratching himself with... The pieces of pot and hey, he could get no relief. What what happens when you serve God when your health is broken? You say, well, preacher, you don't understand. Well, I may not, but I sure have met some folks over the years. They've gone through a lot worse than what I've gone through. They still serve God. See, Job had no health and yet he still trusted God. When your health is gone, will you still trust God? Well, I, listen, I just want God to take me out of here. If I, if I don't have my health, I, I understand the sentiment. But God can use you even when your health isn't good. Then there was also a broken hope. See, life through circumstances steals our hope. Remember when you were a kid? How many remember this? You was a kid and they said, listen, what do you want to be when you grow up? You had this, well, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a professional ball player. I want to be a nurse or whatever, right? 
Now listen to me. Then all of a sudden somebody come up and said, Oh, no, you can't do that. Mm -mm, nope, nope, you can't do that. What it do? Stole your hope. No, you're not smart enough to do that. In my case, they were right. right? You're not talented enough to do that. Right? Well, the world's doing that. Every day you wake up, man, it, it doesn't pay to serve God, does it? Hey, if you quit serving God, you could have this. If you quit serving God, your life would be easier. If you quit serving God, these people wouldn't hate you. If you quit serving God, listen, life will steal your hope. Why? Because the devil wants to defeat you and discourage you, keep you downtrodden. Why? Because when we are, there's, we're no earthly good. You take somebody who's got some hope, man, I'm telling you what, you can't stop them. But when you drain the hope out of somebody, that's why he said this. Listen, in this life, if, if in this life we have a hope, only hope what? We're most miserable. In other words, if this is all we got, you're living for this life. In this life, if this is the only hope we got, if I make money, if I'm popular, and if I live a long life, my kids grow up and serve God, if that's all you got, all that can be taken out real quick. But see, see, here he is, and uh, Job is getting his hope just... Well, my kids are gone. How many, how many people know this? I hear people say it, and I know what they mean, but they need to adjust their thinking and their vernacular. Oh, my kids, are, they're my world. That sounds good. My kids are my world. That's all that matters to me. What happens when God takes them? My job. That's the most important. What happens when God takes it? My spouse, listen, your spouse ain't going to live forever, right, right? right? None of those things are bad. Thank God they're blessings of God, but that's what, he better be the most important thing because here's Job, he's lost his, his kids, he's lost his, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his, his cattle, he's lost his friends, he's lost his family, and now his only wife, his wife said, you know what you ought to do? Not encourage Job, hey, keep serving God, I'm with you, I love you, it's me and you to the end. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? That's right. Brother Johnny, for a lot, that'd be the final blow, wouldn't it? See, the, the fact is, if we look solely at this life, we have no hope. Things, listen to me, I'm going to say it again, things are going to get worse. They're going to get worse. November 5th, whatever, will not fix the problem. The economy, stupid, won't fix the problem. Right? Every election, is, the economy, stupid. No, it isn't. See, we've strayed so far away from God. The only thing that's going to make anything better is for us to return to God. Amen. We have no hope in this life. Why? Because we're wicked. Man, we're, if, if we're left to ourselves without God, you know what we'll do? We'll mess it all up. Adam and Eve messed it up, right? I mean, the uh, man has messed everything he's ever touched. He's messed it up. And so here, our hope must be in our Redeemer. That's what Job, I mean, here he is in chapter 19. Everything's been taken away from him. 
His friends have cursed him. His family is dead. His wealth is gone. His health is gone. His wife has basically said, I don't want anything to do with you. Won't you curse God and die? The God you serve is not who I want to serve. And here he is in maybe the lowest, in the lowest point of his life. And he makes this profound statement. For I know. But Sean, he did not develop that in that moment. He developed that in years of walking with God and knowing that his Redeemer was alive because if you wait until the trials come to call on God and believe that he's alive and that he is who he says he is, it'll be too late. You won't believe it then. See, the, the confidence, number two, I want you to see the confidence in the Lord. He didn't have confidence in himself. He didn't have confidence in his friends. He didn't have confidence in his ability. But here he says this in verse 25, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I don't know a whole lot. I don't know a whole lot. Listen, sometimes I think I'm smarter than I really am. Sometimes I think I have stuff figured out that I'm way off. Sometimes, Brother Matt, I think I got people figured out, and then then they'll do something. I go, I didn't see that one coming. Sometimes I even think, Brother Russell, that I know more of this Bible than I do. I'll look and say, well, I think well, I know. I'll say, God meant this, and he didn't mean any of it, right? Sometimes I don't know if today's the day that I'm going to be in a good mood or bad mood, right? I don't know if I'm going to feel good or not. Listen, there's days, how, how many know this? You'll wake up in the morning, you got all the energy in the world, you're ready to conquer the world. And then there's days you feel like somebody's reached in your soul and pulled everything out of you, you don't even breathe anymore. Right? Man, I'm talking Monday mornings. Well, Tuesday, Brother Eddie, Tuesdays are good days for me. And I wake up and I'm like, I get up in the morning, I got all this energy. Rated Sunday mornings. It is like the devil. Somehow from the time I lay my head on the pillow till the time I wake up, it's like the devil has snuck in my room and beat me with the stick. I mean, I... I right? Brother Marty, I'll be honest with you. If every time I felt bad on Sunday, I'm like, I ain't going to church today. You would not see me 52 times a year. Right? I mean, I'd never come because there's not a Sunday morning. I promise you, Brother Dennis, there's not a Sunday morning that I wake up that I am not just, and I don't know what it is. That, you're right. But I feel awful. No, it's not my wife's cooking either. (laughs) But I'm like, I've been through this before. I've been through this 52 times a year for 22 years. I, I know what this is about. And so I get in the kitchen. Pour me a cup of black rifle. Don't drink none of that frou-frou stuff. You drink a man's coffee, the black rifle. Amen. Go take a shower and all of a sudden you start feeling a little more life. Right? 
got to realize that the devil every day is wanting to destroy our confidence in the Lord. And you've got to develop those muscles of confidence and faith before you have to use them. Doesn't do you good then. It's too late. And so we're, we think life's good and life, life goes on and everything's clicking. And Job had already determined, he said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. So he has a confidence not in himself, not in his friends, not in his wealth. He has a confidence in the Lord. Now that word Redeemer means kinsman. That's interesting, isn't it? A kinsman is someone who is close. A kinsman is someone who is related. A kinsman, it was the Redeemer's duty to pay the price to redeem the state of his kin. And he would buy back or restore the heritage. And I want you to think about this. The body is the heritage of the soul. In other words, Job's heritage was being destroyed. I mean, it's, it, we can say we got all the faith we want to, but when our body starts going, it is hard to keep hope alive. It is hard to keep having faith. And so he had confidence that Jesus would restore. So notice what he's saying here. He said, uh, and though after my skin uh, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Well, that's interesting to me because he's being... He's literally being destroyed. He knows that when he goes in the grave, his body is going to completely be destroyed. Yet, what he's saying in this verse, he said, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Hallelujah. In other words, what he's saying this is that I know, whatever you do to me, devil, I've got a promise from God that I'm going to see him in my flesh. And so therefore, now I'm glad it's going to be a glorified body, amen. But I'm, I, he's saying, I know whom I believe. I know my Redeemer lives. And I know that whatever you do to me, I'm going to see him one day. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, understand that that's the confidence in the Lord you and I have to have today. Well, what's, he, what's he talking about? Well, notice in this word Redeemer, He's saying that he can redeem the price. In other words, the payment must be satisfactory to redeem. If you owe a million dollars, it doesn't do enough good. It doesn't do any good for somebody to say, "Well, I'll pay five dollars, and that ought to take care of it." I mean, some of you, if you owe somebody a dollar, you're just like, well, "I want a dollar." Some of you, let's be honest, you you spend a dollar doing something for the Lord, we get a Reimbursement form filled out. Dollar and forty nine cent, please. I'd like my check back. Maybe you give that to the Lord, dollar forty nine, he might give you two back one day. Can I get amen right there? Right? See, you gotta be able to pay the price that is required to redeem something. And that kinsman, remember Ruth? The net the, the next of kin? said, not only are you going to have to get her, you're going to have to get her, her mom-in-law too. You're going to have to get all of it. And he said, that's too high a price. I can't redeem it. And so Boaz came in, right? So just because you're the next of kin does not mean that you're able uh, to redeem. You have to be able to pay the price. And I understand this, that uh, uh, the Bible said the wages of sin is death. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if he's going to be my redeemer, he must be able to pay the ultimate price that God said he has to pay. Amen? So what was the price? Well, it wasn't just enough that someone died. As she sang that song, uh, that one earthly reason, she mentioned the angels in heaven. The angels couldn't die for you. 
Uh, listen, if anybody could die for you, the fact is, we could choose. I'd say, well, you know what? I think uh, today I want Brother Jake to die in my place. And God say, oh, okay, well, that's good enough. No, God said he had to be a perfect, uh, unblemished lamb in the Old Testament to be of the right sacrifice. And Jesus came, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world. What he's saying is God had a price. Jesus paid the price for your sins and mine, and so therefore he is capable and able to be the Redeemer. Now, I don't know much about a lot of things, but I do know this, that uh, what God required, Jesus 100% satisfied, and so therefore he is qualified to be the Redeemer. So this price had to be sufficient, or the payment had to be sufficient for the requirement. And not only the redeem, they redeemed the price, but they redeemed the by power. In other words, the confidence Job had was that the Messiah could restore his burdened body and broken body. Well, how many of you believe that? I mean, let's be honest. The devil's going to tell you you're not good enough and you're not. Uh, they're going to say, well, uh, your good doesn't outweigh your bad. And that's what the Bible tells us. That's what God's requirement is. So what I'm saying is it takes the power of God. Listen, you're sitting here today, and when you tell people you're saved by the grace of God, you don't drink, cuss, and act like a maniac anymore, they go, I never saw that coming. You know what that is? That's the power of God. Amen. Amen. So what I'm saying is the confidence Job has was that the Messiah could restore his broken body. Well, where did he get that confidence in? The Word of God. You say, well, he didn't have a written Word of God. Well, he spoke different back then. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that power. Well, the interesting thing to me is it hadn't happened. Think about that. Job saying, I believe in the resurrecting power of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it hadn't happened yet. He was believing something in faith that would take place in the future. Well, how's that any different from us? We're believing he's going to come back. At least I do. Well, that hadn't happened yet. He came the first time. He hadn't come the second time. So Job not only believes he's coming to redeem, he also, notice what he said, he said uh, uh, that he'll stand at the latter day upon the earth. He's also believing he's coming back the second time. So understand, on the third day, Jesus proved that power. That the greatest enemy we've got is death. We were talking about this in Sunday school. You can say, I'm not afraid to die, but you'll do everything you can not to die. Not me, preacher. I'm so spiritual. That's a bald-faced lie. Right? You'll do everything you can not to die. I will. Man, I won't be around for a while. You don't want to be here? That's you. I want to be here as long as I can. You say, it's a sin-cursed world, and I'm ready to go to heaven. Me too. But I'm going to hang around here and make the best of what I got. Why? Because I, I, I got a son and daughter-in-law over there. I've got a daughter and son-in-law in two weeks, and they're going to give me some grandbabies, all of them real soon. Praise God. No pressure. I'd like to see them grow up if the Lord doesn't come back. I'd like to have the help to do it. But may I say this? I, I'm, I, I'm not looking. Someone said, how many is ready to go to heaven in church? Everybody raised their hand. One guy did. He said, 
Why didn't you raise your hand? He said, I thought you'd get in a busload of them right now. I don't want to go right now. Just saying, you don't want to die. Your flesh doesn't want to die. Now, when it's time, God gives us dying grace, doesn't he? I mean, I'm be honest with you. You get all spiritual if you want to, but there's something inside of you somewhere that you're going, I don't know what is on the other side, right? Now, I believe he's the Redeemer. I believe there's a heaven, and I believe I'm going there. But there's some uncertainty about what all that looks like and uncertainty about exactly what it is. But there's something, when you get to where you draw your last breath, God gives you a little something to look on the other side and say it's going to be okay. You don't believe that? You ask some of them old timers. See, what they do now, they dope you up to where you can't hear any dying testimonies. Them old timers knew something. My mom will tell you when... Tommy Gales, he was an old preacher, lived down the road. My dad was in the room with him and he died. He said, Mike, the angels came to get me. I'm leaving. Wasn't long after he's gone. I don't care how much you say I believe the Bible and trust the Lord. There's a side of you somewhere. There's still flesh going. Right? Well, just at the right time, God gives you that peace and that grace that confidence, right? And that's what—that's what he. That's where he was. He'd walked with the Lord long enough to know that whatever it was, he was okay with it. Amen. So number two, there's confidence in the Lord, and then number three, there's comfort yes, sir. in the Lord. Notice, he said, I, "I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall send at the latter day upon the earth." Yes. And though after my skin worms, that don't sound all that great to me. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And notice verse 27. Whom I shall see for myself. Mine eyes shall behold. And not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So what's he saying? Well, first of all, he's saying first he shall stand. Who? the Lord that he shall stand at the latter days upon the earth well he's come one time he promised he is coming again first time he came as a lamb next time he'll come as a lion first time he came as a redeemer next time he'll come as a judge he'll reign over creation right he shall stand, and then the comfort knows what he said. He said in verse 27, he said, whom I shall see for myself. Well, our comfort's not only that he reigns. Our comfort is we shall finally see him face to face. Now, I'll say this. I'll close. I'm, I'm excited about one day seeing my dad, my grandmas, my grandpas, my great-grandmas. I'm looking forward to one day seeing Brother Fry, Miss Polly, others that have impacted me and our church such a way. I'm looking forward to seeing Paul. I'm not talking about that back there. I mean, I, 
I'm glad, be glad to see him too, but I was talking about the apostle, right? And John and Peter, Job. I'm looking forward to seeing all them, aren't you? I mean, I'd, I'd, I think it's going to be kind of interesting. We start getting up there and saying, tell you what, Job, I appreciate, I appreciate your book in the Bible. Now, I'm sure there's going to be some that's going to say, I know you had a lot of stuff going on, but let me tell you about my life. Right. You had some rough times, Joe, but I got defriended on Facebook. Right? I had some I had some negative posts on my on my page. Right? I got cyberbullied one time, Paul. You ever been cyberbullied? It ain't no fun. Right? All those gonna be But they'll all. You can come see us. He's the one you're looking for. And won't it be a glorious day? Won't it be a glorious day? When it really finally dawns on us that none of this is about us you won't have arrogant preachers jockeying for position on who has the who has the prime preaching spot you won't have arrogant singers trying to determine who gets to sing in the right spot you won't have people bragging about all that they've done for Amen. Jesus. Right? Amen. We won't be belly aching about all the trials of life, brother. When we walk in there and see the nail prints in his hand. And his body marred beyond recognition. Maybe we'll just be like Thomas. Say, my Lord, my God. Today, the greatest thing you'll ever know is that your Redeemer liveth. That's how you move forward. And if you don't know him as your Savior and your Redeemer, today would be a good day. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads. Eyes are closed. I want to say this again. All of this is not about us. It's about Him. And this morning, if you do not know Him as your Savior, I'd like to invite you to come. I'd like to invite you to come this morning and let someone take God's Word. So you can know, just like Job, I know, I know my Redeemer. Would you come? If you're here today and you say, I know He's my Savior, I know He's my Redeemer. But I'll be honest with you, preacher. I feel a lot of times like Job. I feel like everything's going wrong. I understand that. 
May I say that you have a valid reason to say that? Not one time did the Bible say Job wasn't going through these things, right? Not one time did God minimize what he was going through. But what he did was he showed, he made more about his faith than he did his problems. You read the end of the chapter, read the end of the book, you see God restored to Job. You're here today and you say, I'm, sometimes I feel like Job. Sometimes we all do, don't we? But the relief that you seek is not going to come in less trials. You'll always have those. The relief you seek is going to come in knowing that your Redeemer lived. If you don't know that, you're going to have a rough life. Not just circumstances, but I mean emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. There's got to be something in you that says, no matter what storms I face, I know my Redeemer lives. I know I can trust Him. I know that whatever I'm going through, for some reason, God's using it to make me more like Him. Brother Foy, sometimes that's all we got. But when that's all we got, that's all we need. That's all we need. I don't have to understand. See, you'll drive yourself crazy trying to understand. Some people are of no earthly good to the Lord because all they try to do is understand. I just want to understand. If God would help me understand, I could get moved past it. What if he never does? See, you're stuck in quicksand. You just trust God. Well, you say it's easier for you to say, preacher. No, it's not. See, I'm made out of the same stuff you are. We just got to say, listen, I don't have to understand. I just got to trust Him. Just got to trust Him. I know my Redeemer liveth. I know He does. Father, I love you. Thank you for the message. I pray it's been a help and a blessing to your people. And again, if there's one that does not know you as Savior, before they leave here today, touch their heart, show them their need of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.